for the past few years, I've asked God through the summer to give me a word or a phrase or a particular statement to kind of serve as the overall theme for our year together. And last year, if you remember, it was, I want more. We focused in on that, pushing and pressing into wanting and desiring more of Jesus than at any other time in our lives. And so as I was praying over you guys through the summer, which by the way, you might leave this place for the summer, but you never leave my heart for the summer. So I've been praying for you guys through this summer, and as I was praying over you, God kept bringing one word to mind, and that word is this, surrendered. And the more I prayed and thought through it, the more clearly I could hear God speaking. Trey, I want you to challenge them, but I also want you to encourage them to live surrendered. To lay down every desire that is selfish, to lay down every ambition that is selfish, to lay down every motive that is selfish, to lay down every plan that is selfish, to lay down every dream that is selfish, and instead surrender everything for Jesus. And listen to me. Like Natalie just said in her prayer right then, for the sake of her kids amongst this generation, I want to see and witness what God can and will do through a group of people who will fully surrender their hearts and their lives to Him. No more of this half-hearted stuff. No more of this towing the line kind of Christianity. I'm talking all in full surrender to what God desires to do with each and every one of our individual lives. But I also know this, surrender isn't an easy place to get to. That's why it's called surrender. Because it involves a battle. It involves a struggle. It involves a fight. Living a surrendered life will come through places of struggle and battle. And so I want to help show you how to get there. And what a surrendered life will look like. In Acts chapter 9, a few chapters previous to where we're going to pick up tonight, we see a man by the name of Saul who would later become known as Paul have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. In those moments, he would give his life to the call and the command of Christ. And then early on in his calling, as he's taking the gospel message from city to city, he makes this statement in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, which is where we're going to pick up in his story. He says this, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And then here's where we're really going to laser focus with our time tonight. Verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So as it pertains to living surrendered, I want us to focus on this particular subject, the one thing that matters. Turn to somebody beside you and give them a nudge and say, one thing matters. One thing matters. As Paul makes this declaration in verse 24, and I want to read it again, it says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I imagine as he's making this statement that he considered his life in the past, in the present, and the future to come, and as he did so, only saw one thing that mattered, and that was the gospel. 
That's it. But his declaration also gives us a glimpse into the aspects that a surrendered life contains. And that's what I want to help you see tonight. So right out of the gates, a surrendered life lets go of what it values most. A surrendered life will let go of what it values most. And as people, there's nothing that we inherently value more than our own lives. Paul said in the first half of verse 24, I do not account my life of any value. He didn't say, I don't account my car of any value. I don't account my house of any value. I don't account my clothes of any value. I don't account my status of any value. He says, I don't account my life of any value. Why? Because we as human people do not value anything other more than our life itself. Throughout Scripture, we see Jesus calling people to follow Him. And you will see that people are willing to leave materials. They're willing to leave possessions. They're even willing to leave family behind. But so many people would fall away when Jesus would call them to leave their life behind. Matthew 16, verse 25, I'll show you. Jesus says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus turns around and said this to a huge crowd of people that were following him. And the vast majority of them turned around and went back home. People will sacrifice only so much until Jesus calls them to lay down the entirety of their life. And then so many people shy away from the call. Why? Because we value it so greatly in a selfish sense. I mean, it's the only one we got, right? And if it's the only one that we have, then who do we need to make it count the most for? Me. Jesus calls us to lay it down and to take up his life that he calls us into. Paul shows us that a surrendered life doesn't value life in a selfish way. The truth is, surrender and selfish can't coexist. One or the other has to be done away with. And that's why so many Christians, I feel like, struggle with living a surrendered life because you won't completely do away with selfishness. They're coexisting. And that's why you might have moments of surrender. That's why you might have seasons of surrender. When things are going well spiritually, when you feel like you're following God's plan perfectly as He leads you down that path, and then all of a sudden you struggle for a little bit because we haven't done away with our inherent selfishness inside of our hearts. They cannot coexist. It will be a constant battle and a clashing of interest. One has to be done away with. When we were younger, like any good older brother, I would at times terrorize my sister. I mean, we have siblings in the house. Older siblings, specifically. Terrorized by your older siblings, specifically. Absolutely. So just like any good older sibling, I would oftentimes terrorize my sister. And one of the ways that I would do that would be by putting her in submission holds and making her cry uncle. Now, I don't know. That's kind of an old phrase. I don't know if y'all know what that means or not. But to put someone in a submission hold, whether I would put her in like a headlock or like twist her arm behind her back and like, you know, make her backhand touch the neck. You know, just good loving things. You know how it goes, right? You want to show them how we do it? Okay. Anyway, I would put her in a submission hold until she cried uncle. In other words, I would make her surrender. Now watch this with me. Earlier on, Paul had his heart captured by Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And then in Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. You know what it means to be constrained? To be held, to be bound, to be tied up. Up, to be constrained means to be 
bound up. And here's what I want you to see. You can't have surrender without submission. One more time. You can't have surrender without submission. By experience, I've learned you will never reach a point of surrender without first being in a place of submission. Our hearts are so wicked and deceitful. They will never surrender for Christ without first submitting to Christ. And it's different. Everybody say it's different. It's different because this is a willing submission. Me putting my sister in a rear naked chokehold is forceful submission. It's different with Jesus. Jesus calls us to a willing submission. He isn't going to put anybody in a chokehold and make them follow him. He will not force you into surrender. We choose it. I see Christians in misery at times because they desire and they're trying to live surrendered without first being submitted. And you'll never get to that point. Paul had his heart captured through Jesus' pursuit of him. And he chose to submit to his lordship. Now he was constrained. Now he was bound up by the Spirit and able to completely surrender his life in obedience. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Submission comes before surrender. Until you have your heart ran down and captured by Jesus and you willingly choose to submit to his lordship in your life, you will never be able to live fully surrendered in obedience to him. It won't happen. When you're surrendered, you realize your life is not your own at that point. That it belongs to Christ. And the same man who wrote this in the book of Acts would later tell the people in Corinth, don't you know that your body is not your own? You have been bought with a price. Now honor God. Because your life belongs to Him. Let Jesus capture you men and women. And you'll see how you can let go of life itself in order to honor Him. A surrendered life lets go of what it values most, but it also determines to carry out what it's been given. Go back and look at verse 24. In the second half of that verse, Paul says this, I only want to finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. You can hear the hopeful determination in Paul's voice. He is 100% set on carrying out the calling that he had received from Jesus, which was to testify of the gospel. And even though he knows it won't be easy, even though he knows there will be difficulty, even though he knows there will be challenges along the way, he still is determined to carry out the calling that Christ had placed upon his life. He even says, I'm going, knowing, in verse 22, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And it's funny because everyone, everyone wants Jesus to break their chains. But few people will wear his chains. Would you be willing to go if, like Paul, you know? that hardship 
and suffering and affliction and imprisonment awaits you. Everybody wants Jesus to break their chains. But few people are willing to wear his chains for the sake of the gospel. A surrendered life has a determination that says, no matter what I may face in front of me, my life is not my own. And I'm going, even though I'm knowing what's in front of me. Jesus had even shown him how difficult it would be. In Acts chapter 9, right after Paul had encountered Jesus and had a salvation experience, Jesus says this, he's speaking to Ananias, who he had gotten to go pray over Paul as he was getting ready to enter into his ministry. And this is what he says concerning Paul. He says, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now look at verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Man, listen, there is nothing that I love more than singing about the goodness and the grace and the blessings of God. And all those things are 100% true. There is nothing more fulfilling. There is nothing more satisfying. There is nothing that is greater than living and loving and serving Jesus and having Him as Lord of your life. But your generation is missing something from the people that stand in these positions that make you think that that's all it ever is. And that's why so many people, when they face a hardship or they face a trial, they drop their faith and they run because they don't realize the full extent of what Jesus is calling us to sign up for. You're going to face hardship. You're going to face struggle. Trust me, get ready, men and women, because your college campuses are about to become a more fierce battleground for the gospel than you've ever seen in your life. And the only way we're going to push forward and gaining ground for the kingdom is if we get to a place of full surrender. Later on, Paul would even testify to what he had to endure for the sake of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read a pretty decent passage here, but he talks about all that he endured for the sake of Christ. He says, it's far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes. Less one, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, without food, cold and exposed. Apart from other things, the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. Jesus says, count the cost. For those who are willing to submit, even though you may face and endure all those things, you will see what we're going to see in the next week if you guys will come back, what Paul had to say about facing all those things. And how for him it wasn't looking back and seeing a regret, but it was looking back and seeing a life of fulfillment. In spite of all that, he held his determination to proclaim the gospel. And so many times I look at what he endured and I think, how? How in this world could you keep going and not lose heart after facing all these things? I'm not going to lie, guys. And I'm not going to stand up here. And those of you that know me best know that this is the truth. They don't put me on some pedestal. I'm not going to act like I love my job every single day of the week. I'm not going to act like walking and living for Christ is the easiest thing that I've ever done. I'm not going to act like there haven't been days when I've sat in my office ready to get some cardboard boxes 
and throw all my books in there and pack up and lock the door and turn the lights off and disappear and go find something else to do other than this job. Absolutely face every single one of those things myself. I look at Paul and I'm like, how can you endure all these things? And not lose heart. I'm enduring all these things inside of an air-conditioned building. A $3 million facility with the best lights and the best sound. An awesome praise team and a room full of people. And nice clothes and a new truck that God blessed me with last year to drive over here. And I want to give up at times. How can you endure all these things? How can you go through all these beatings, these shipwrecks, being cold and naked without food and hunger and exposed, not knowing what's going to happen next? How can you do that? And not lose heart. How can you keep a determination like he had? Suppose for a second your life only had one purpose. My parents live on the river. And every summer, at least two or three different times, there'll be a huge mayfly hatch. Y'all know what mayflies are? Mayflies, interestingly enough, have the shortest lifespan of anything on earth. 24 hours, one day to live, and then it's over for them. And their only purpose for existing on this planet is for reproduction. So 24 hours to go wild, and then it's over for them. It's done. But listen, they, may, mayflies have stopped traffic. They have delayed ball games. They have even given false storm signatures on radars because their swarms become so massive when they get ready to go out and do their thing. Because of their determination to fulfill their one purpose in their short lives, they cause all kinds of chaos. Paul's determination was fueled by the reality in which he saw that the gospel was all that he had. His one purpose in life. And he would do whatever and face whatever in order to declare it. As believers, listen to me. I ask you, what if, what if your life only had one purpose? That was a what if a moment ago. As believers, we've received the same ministry to testify of the gospel, the grace of God. One purpose. Our only purpose. It's to carry out to this world the goodness and the grace of God who alone can save souls. Listen, there's a difference between part and purpose. As a follower of Jesus, getting a degree is part of your life. Finding a spouse may be a part of your life. Building a career is a part of your life. Starting a family is a part of your life. But none of those things is the purpose of your life. Romans 11.36 says, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory and forever. Amen. Our purpose is to make His gospel and glory known. That is it. And when we live surrendered, a determination kicks in to carry that out at all costs. What would happen if through being surrendered we became determined and swarmed our campus with the gospel? What if we became determined and swarmed the gym for the gospel? What if we became determined and you swarmed your apartment complex with the gospel, your team with the gospel, this city with the gospel? Live surrendered and carry out what you've been given. I want the people of God to cause the same amount of chaos a mayfly hatch causes. Because we're everywhere with the name of Jesus. Everywhere. You can't get rid of mayflies, man. They're in the ventilation system, they're in your car. 
You get home and they're inside your shirt somehow. They're in your shoes when you put them on the next morning. They cover the carpet and you can't sweep them off. Like You can't get rid of them. And can we not as a people of God be that kind of a swarm for the gospel where you can't get rid of us? You can clean and you can vacuum and you can sweep and you can kick and you can dust and you can try and cover it up, but they just keep coming out. Same way with us in the gospel. You can beat us down. You can kick us out. You can try and clean us up. But everywhere you turn, out bleeds some more. Surrendered life determines to carry out what it's been given at all cost. Paul had a determination about him even though he knew what stood in front of him and he was going. Why? Because he knew his God was faithful. Even in the midst of those things, he would still accomplish his purposes. We go and we proclaim the hope that he is alive and the good news of the gospel Not because it's going to be easy or without difficulty, but because even in spite of that, we know our God is faithful. And He will reap a harvest in the midst of our obedience. One more thing. A surrendered life proclaims a higher life. If you go back and look at verse 24, Paul talks about how he is going to testify of the gospel. So before Paul encountered Jesus and submitted to his lordship, he thought he knew what living was. He thought he had his stuff all put together. He thought he was living quite the impressive, luxurious lifestyle. Everything as far as Paul was concerned seemed to be going quite well in the way in which he was living his life. And then he met Jesus. And in Jesus, he found what abundant life was it was far greater than anything else he had ever experienced listen some of you in this room you may not have a relationship with Jesus you may have never submitted to his lordship and right now you think life is good you're not going to lie it may be for the most part you may have some things that bring you some fulfillment you may have some things that bring you satisfaction You might experience joy at times. You experience love at times. You participate in good things that benefit and help other people out. But the difference is, Jesus says, I didn't come so that you could have life. I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, there's a difference between just life and abundant life. Until you surrender your life to Jesus, you'll never have anything to make a comparison to the life that you once had. I can stand here and tell you that life with Jesus is abundant because I've experienced life without Jesus. Every other believer can testify to that same thing in this room tonight. They can stand there and testify that the life they're in now is abundant because they know what their life was like before. Jesus gives abundant life to testify is to give witness is to proclaim and so a surrendered life 
gives witness to and proclaims of the life abundant Jesus gives. It's a higher living. Those of you who know Christ, if I were to ask, who is the only one that can bring fulfillment? Who is the only one that can give lasting satisfaction? Who's the only one that can fill with joy? Who's the only one that can provide peace? Who's the only one that can heal wounds? Who's the only one that can credit righteousness? Who's the only one that can restore brokenness? You would answer without hesitation, Jesus. So why, if we know that only Jesus can bring fulfillment, give lasting satisfaction, fill with joy, provide peace, heal wounds, credit righteousness, restore brokenness, are we not more bold in our witness and proclamation of it? I'm going to say something. I don't. You're like, come on, Trey, man, this is the beginning of semester. I feel like you're beating me down already. This is very exciting and very encouraging. I want to say something right here that God impressed upon my heart just this afternoon. When I thought I had everything done, sealed up, ready to rock and roll, and God pricked my heart with something so fierce. And I'm not just saying this to y'all. I'm saying this to y'all because God said it to me because it was brought into my life as a conviction, which means it's something that I'm not doing a very good job of. But as he began to speak it into my life, it began to make me hurt physically. So in all honesty, myself included, I'm tired of the people of God being hope hoarders. When this hurting world needs it now more than ever. I got so convicted of my own life and my own faults and not being completely obedient and surrendered to go and take the hope of Jesus everywhere I go. Now, that's not to say that I never look for opportunities, but most of the time when I look for opportunities, it's within an atmosphere that I find comfortable. The hope of Jesus is easy in here, isn't it? In a room full of people singing and praising and worshiping God, you keep hope alive. That's easy in here. But that's the problem most times. It gets hoarded in here. And Jesus' methodology for reaching a lost and dying world was never for us to put a stake in the ground and say, here we are, come to us. It was for us to, yes, put our stake in the ground here, but go to them and say, here he is. Go out to the nations. Go out and reap a harvest tired of us being hope hoarders guys we do our savior we do our lord an injustice by keeping the gospel to ourselves when this world around us needs it so desperately a surrendered life listen a surrendered life will be a sounding board for the gospel of jesus you can't help but be when you are completely and totally surrendered to him your life cannot help but be a sounding board 
for the proclamation of the gospel. I know a lot of you guys are aware of the situation that's going on in Afghanistan here recently. It's terrible, horrific, the images that we see in these people that are being hurt and destroyed and killed in the midst of all that. But I was getting ready to, to do my message over this past week. I was studying, I was preparing, and I have moments where I'm really dialed in and I can get a lot done, but I'm like y'all when a test comes around and you do good for a little bit, but I got that touch of ADD a little bit. Like I can only make it so long, and it's like I got to have a break. Something will catch my gaze, my phone will go off, I'll get distracted, or sometimes, you know, it's just the old lean back in the chair and just... And then you realize, oh, 15 minutes went by. With me literally sitting here not doing anything, not looking at my phone, not messing around with my computer, not writing down any notes, but literally just sitting there having a mini seizure or something into absolute nothingness. And I had kind of gotten into one of those moments, and I reached and grabbed my phone in the middle of my study, and, and for some reason I pulled up my Instagram, and I was just going to spend, you know, a, a little bit, a couple minutes. You know how that works out. But anyway, I say that to say I believe it was a divine moment that God used it for this purpose, because I came across this post, and this was before it all really got spread out to where people were sharing it across the board. I saw this very, very early on, but it was a post that Christine Kane had shared. And I'm sure a lot of y'all have probably seen it. But she shared an excerpt from an email that a Christian in Afghanistan had sent to her. And this is what it says. I'm going to have them put it up on the screen for you so you can see. It says, at the moment, we are praying desperately for friends on the ground in the house church movement in Afghanistan where the Taliban are coming after all Christians. Their courage is immense. Most expect to meet Jesus face-to-face -face in the next two weeks. It's a powerful reminder right now of what matters and making every opportunity count for eternity. I picked up my phone as a distraction. And I come across this post and I get 75% of the way through it. And this person who is in Afghanistan experiencing the horrors that are taking place and the terrors that are taking place, hearing the screams of the people around them that are being drugged out of their homes against their will and put into unimaginable situations. And I read this line as a powerful reminder right now of what matters. There's only one thing that matters, men and women. It's the gospel of Jesus. And these people in the midst of a terrible, horrible situation write down this email because they realize it is a reminder of what matters. The only thing that matters to them in this situation as they're facing death in these very next few moments, maybe even now as we speak, is the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. And they're clinging to that. There's only one thing that matters. One thing that matters. One thing that matters. One thing that matters. Sharing the hope of Jesus. time to live surrender. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, College and Young Adult Pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. 
It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life. <laughs>